Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. We thought Georgia football might not be tested until the month of November. We were wrong. Georgia tested by Auburn last Saturday in that rivalry game. Bulldogs had all they could handle. Carson Beck and Brock Bowers stepped up in the fourth quarter to deliver a victory, but interesting game coming this weekend against Kentucky. And Georgia, despite its struggles, retains the number one ranking in the nation. We will discuss that and also Alabama-Texas A&M in a huge game in the SEC West. Welcome into SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer with John Adams. John, so much to get to. And, of course, we want to get touch on LSU as well. Uh, all that hype, all that uh, sizzle in the preseason for LSU, all gone now after a loss to Ole Miss. And, but I'm going to save that one. I want to start with, uh, with Georgia-Kentucky because we've seen this before where Kentucky has you know, rumbled through a mostly easy schedule in September, and then it goes up in smoke against Georgia. And yet Kentucky played so well against Florida on Saturday in this battle of undefeateds now against Georgia. It has my attention. Like I, I was coming into the season talking about how Georgia may not face a real game until November. I don't know. I'm not overlooking this one anymore, not based off what I saw from Kentucky against the Gators, but also what I saw from Georgia just a one-score win over an Auburn team that can't pass the ball, a one-dimensional Auburn team. We, we played like our panic meter for Georgia a few weeks ago, and, and both of us were kind of in the middle. Is that changing for you at all? Are you starting to feel more concerned about Georgia, even in victory? Well, I was until the fourth quarter Saturday, and, and Georgia did two things that impressed me. It got the ball to uh, Blake to Brock Bowers, the probably the best football player in the country, and uh, that's sometimes hard to do since he's a focal point of every defense. The other thing that impressed me, I just didn't know about Carson Beck, quarterback, first year as a starter. He throws a really nice catchable ball. He's accurate, but how he would he perform in a hostile venue? Uh, under the duress of trying to win three consecutive national championships is Georgia's attempting to do. Uh, and he responded very favorably passed for 313 yards, I think 23 at 33, but more importantly, he was clutch in the fourth quarter. He delivered the ball often to Bowers. So that makes me feel better about Georgia going forward. However, Georgia can't run the ball like we expect Georgia to be able to run the ball. It's not playing as well as I thought it would in either line, offense or defense. And so that raises concerns. Uh, going into the Kentucky game, I didn't imagine this being much of a test at all, but watching Auburn move the ball, admittedly with a zone read offense, which maybe Georgia hadn't seen before this year, I mean, before these last few games, I... M- 
it in our in Auburn does have good runners, uh, but more it was more the line play that would concern me. That's where we're accustomed to Georgia really controlling a football game, offensive defensive line, and it didn't do that, and it didn't even do it that well against South Carolina, which has a really weak offensive line. So yeah, there, yeah, it makes me think this game could be a lot closer than I ever imagined. Great points about the the line of scrimmage play from Georgia, John, because so much of the attention, you know, from the, the armchair quarterbacking, well, if you're an armchair quarterback, who are you going to be focused on? I guess the quarterback, right? That's what we spend a lot of time on on this podcast. That's what everybody spends a lot of time on, and, and deservedly so. It's the most important position in the sport. However, um, as good as Stetson Bennett was throughout last season, Georgia's two national championships started with their line of scrimmage play. I won't say it ended there because they had a lot of other things factor in, but it started with their line of scrimmage play. And you've talked about Georgia's pedestrian run game and an inferior run game than what we saw from Auburn on Saturday. But then I look at the defensive side of the ball, and this is part of the conversation that I do not think is getting enough attention. With all the focus on on Georgia's lack of explosiveness on offense and all the talk about quarterback, you look at a couple of important stats on defense where it's just appalling to see Georgia ranked where they are. Tackles for loss. Georgia, through five games, ranked 11th in the SEC right now in tackles for loss. Imagine it's national championship teams being down at that point. Wasn't happening. It's national championship teams, um, you know, in a two-year span, put up almost 200 tackles for loss. Uh, right now, Georgia would be fortunate to get to about 70 tackles for loss in this season. And sacks, Georgia's not getting the quarterback. I know Auburn wasn't throwing it a ton, but throughout the season, Georgia's not getting the quarterback. They rank 13th in the SEC for sacks. And these are these are um, rankings that we're not accustomed to in the Kirby Smart tenure. We are accustomed to dominant defensive lines from Georgia, the type of defensive lines we used to see at the beginning of the Nick Saban dynasty when Kirby Smart was Saban's defensive coordinator. He brought that to Athens, um, and it was a pillar uh, even in his non-championship years. You know, even when Georgia was just winning, I say, 10 games, it was good at the line of scrimmage, and uh, they're not getting that out of out of this team, and, and it's particularly glaring on defense, John, and we saw that uh, on Saturday. You know, you mentioned Zone Reed, but Zone Reed's been around for a while and uh, Georgia, they just didn't have any disruptors against an Auburn offensive line. I don't think we had on the uh, the front of the ballots for, for any awards coming into that game. No, I'm sure Georgia laments the loss of Bear Alexander, who transferred to Southern Cal after last season. He was a backup for Georgia last year. He's been a huge force in USC's defense, and Georgia could certainly use somebody like that. We we just don't have the guy. You don't have a Jalen Carter or a Jordan Davis uh, up front who can control two blockers. Nas Stackhouse just doesn't seem to do that. So that has to be a really big concern for Georgia because those defensive fronts have been so strong. And Georgia's also had outstanding linebackers. And the defensive front, if it's it's protected those linebackers from getting tangled up with blockers. It's allowed them to roam free, make plays, and all of that working together, coupled with a really good secondary. That's why Georgia's had an elite defense the last few years. So, yeah, we'll 
it's going to be a really interesting game, and I think we'll know early on how the game might go. If we, The play in the line will be what to watch, really, because who controls the line of scrimmage early, I think, will, will let us know how the game will play out. And yet, despite some of these issues we've raised with with Georgia, these potential concerns, uh, we know how top 25 polls work. It's it's very difficult to be knocked off the top perch unless you lose. And that's, I think, especially true when you're the two-time defending national champion. And so you look at the coaches poll and, and Georgia's running away with the top spot. They're getting almost all the first place votes in the coaches poll. And even in the AP poll, some of the first place votes are shifting in other directions, but still Georgia has the lion's share uh, of the first place votes. They have more first place votes than all the other teams combined. And they're comfortably in the number one poll position. Now you and I have voted in the AP poll in years past, John, neither one of us have a ballot this year. I'm sure that's uh top of mind for the Associated Press, and they'll probably be rectifying uh, that slight next season. But in the interim here, we can be pretend AP voters. Like I said, we've, ha- we've had experience with this in the past. Everybody approaches their ballot a little bit differently. And I understand there's, there's probably some people who say, well, until Georgia loses, I'm not changing them off the number one line. They're, they're two-time champion. They came into the season number one. They got to lose to fall off that spot. You and I, I know never, we didn't approach our ballots that way. We could shuffle things around even if a team didn't lose. So I'm wondering, have you seen enough from another team out there or maybe multiple other teams that if you had an AP ballot this year going into this game against Kentucky, would you have someone other than Georgia ranked number one? And if so, who would it be? Yeah, the way I look at it, last season or the season before that, no matter how well you did, has nothing to do with this season. I always base my vote on which teams have accomplished the most. Clearly, Georgia hasn't done that. Uh, Ohio State has a great win over Notre Dame in South Bend. Definitely belongs above Georgia. Georgia has no win anywhere nearly comparable to that. Then I also look at uh, Texas uh, going into – Bryant-Denny Stadium and whipping Alabama in that decisive fourth quarter. I would probably have Texas number one, uh, Ohio State number two. And Michigan has looked, against a weaker schedule, Michigan looks much more like a complete team than Georgia does right now. And early polls don't mean much, but still, if I were voting in one, I would – I don't understand the logic of saying, well, they won the championship last year. They're still number one. It's not a carryover effect. I mean, it doesn't count now. It's done. Give them their trophy and move on. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and Georgia may well prove to be the best team in the country at season's end, but right now it, it doesn't deserve a number one ranking. I don't see how anybody can justify it other than just saying, well, they've been number one, so they should stay number one till they lose. That's that's really silly. So I'm, if I'm following the thread here, John, you'd have Texas one, you'd have Ohio State two, you'd have Michigan three, and then would you go Georgia or Florida State or Penn State or Washington or someone else I'm forgetting? Who would be your number four after those? I would actually, Georgia I, I didn't. I, I actually would probably have uh, – Florida State number four. Wow. 
So because uh, of that dominant win over LSU doesn't look as good as after what Ole Miss did last week. Mm-hmm. But it's still a better win than anything Georgia has. It was on a neutral field, albeit Orlando, not that far from Tallahassee. But yeah, I just thought uh, it looks like a more complete team right now. You, you know, I, I also consider the eye test. Georgia just doesn't look like a national championship team right now. Again, it could become that, but it doesn't look like that. It doesn't have the running backs it normally has, especially the depth. It's shifted a wide receiver into running back uh, just to make up for that short shortcoming. Uh, it's offensive line. Neither offensive nor defensive lines look as good. Uh, it's got Brock Bowers, though. And although he's a tight end, he reminds me a little bit when Southern Cal was trying to win three consecutive national titles. And any time Southern Cal was in trouble, when it was having an off day, it got the ball to Reggie Bush, and he won the game. I thought one of the greatest college players of all time. And I look at Brock Bowers the same way. Find a way to get him the ball. Look, if I got inside the 10-yard line, I'm probably putting Brock Bowers at running back if I'm Georgia. Reggie Bush, a good comparison. Somebody that's come to mind for me, John, just because of the way they used him, get the ball to him in whatever way possible, was the most exciting guy on the field usually. Uh, Percy Harvin at Florida. Um, I, I think a different type of player, but much like Bowers, you just find different ways to get him the ball uh, because he's a special athlete. Use him however you can. Uh, so yeah, Reggie Bush is one. And I, I think of Percy Harvin as, as another of guys that come to mind. Um, you know, it's, it's weird to compare a tight end in that way, but tight end is such a reductive term to what Brock Bowers actually is to that offense. Well, no, Percy Harvin's another great example. These are guys that you could play anywhere. It's, you know, now when we look at the NBA, we, we don't define players by position usually. You could look at guy, the best players in the NBA seemingly could play anywhere. And I look at those football players, Harvin, Bush, uh, Brock Bowers in the same light. Brock Bowers is also a great blocker, but he's too valuable with the ball. You you can't use him that much as a blocker. But he he lined up at the backfield one time and, and made a nice nice run for short yardage. But I, I'm not kidding. If I were in a goal line situation, I'm I'd probably put him in the wildcat and just let him run for it. He is so hard to tackle. So you'd have Georgia five. I, I would go with Georgia number three if I had a ballot right now. Um, I, like you, John, I, I look at who have you played, who have you beat. Uh, I also factor in the eye test, which you mentioned. The eye test is not infallible, but um, sometimes schedules break in a certain way to where your opponents are a little bit backloaded. So I think you have to factor the eye test in. Um, and so with those two things in mind, I, like you, would have Texas number one. I think Texas um, has looked like a, a pretty complete team this year. It's got weapons at wide receiver. Quinn Ewers is playing well. Uh, the quarterback and its and its defense is playing very well as well. Uh, I think it has the best win of the season going into Alabama uh, and winning by 10 points. Ohio State deserves some mention for winning at Notre Dame, but I thought Texas was more impressive in that win at Alabama uh, than Ohio State was, uh, even in victory at Notre Dame. So I would go Texas one. Uh, I would go Michigan two based on, you know, Michigan hasn't played anybody yet, but they've been 
phenomenal on the eye test. We'll learn more about them, but not really till November when they go in a, a three-week stretch of, of facing three of the best teams in the Big Ten, certainly Penn State and Ohio State in that stretch, but Maryland's pretty good too, and Michigan gets them all in a row at the end of the season. Uh, so I'd go Texas one, Michigan two, Georgia three, um, and then some version of Ohio State and Florida State next. Pac-12, I think, has a bunch of good teams. Um, I don't know that I'm ready to go with any of them in the top five at, at this moment, but that could change in a couple weeks. Yeah, I like the Pac-12. I, I think what's going to happen in the Pac-12, though, Oregon might actually be the best team. But I think there's so many good teams in the Pac-12. It's the most balanced conference right now at the top end. Uh, has really good quarterback play. I think you'll see teams knocking each other off. So uh, I don't see anybody going through that league unbeaten. I think a one-loss Pac-12 team with strength of schedule, though, would make the playoff. Uh, as good as USC looks at times, it has those puzzling lapses in games, as it did against Colorado, and it collapse against uh, the wrong team and end up losing. I want to touch on Kentucky before we move on to the clash in the SEC West between Alabama and Texas A&M, John, because Kentucky, just a, I thought a huge result for them in, in not just beating Florida, but dismantling Florida on Saturday. It was, it was interesting after the game, a uh, player from Kentucky, uh, Deion Walker, uh, he's a defensive lineman. Uh, Deion Walker said that that result, prove that uh, Kentucky can play against the best. Well, Florida Florida don't rank them among the best this year. And in fact, uh, Kentucky has has quietly or, or maybe not so quietly after Saturday passed Florida right on by. They've won four out of the last six a- against the Gators. And although you and I will, will throw some elbows at Kentucky's schedule from time to time, I think deservedly so, their program has reached the point to which I think it can inspire uh, to play a little bit of a tougher non-conference schedule. Uh, But that aside, Mark Stoops has done a nice job with that program, taking it to places it doesn't normally reside or hadn't before he got there. Every time a, a, a brand name job comes open, John, we always see Mark Stoops's name on hot boards. And, you know, first it was Florida state, then LSU, then Nebraska. And yet he's, I, I wrote this recently. He may have the cushiest job in college football because he's got an SEC job. He's under contract through 2030, making $9 million a year. Heck, he gets a $100,000 bonus if he goes 6-6 six and six and makes a bowl game. How about that? A lot of the SEC schools, you're getting fired to go 6-6. Six and six. Stoops is getting a $100,000 check. Um, and, I mean, why would he ever leave, right? And, and so I had to laugh recently. You know, Michigan State's just in this most bizarre situation that would take a whole podcast to unpack after firing Mel Tucker. And I had to laugh because I saw Mark Stoops, name listed on two hot boards put out by, you know, mainstream media publications. And I'm not mocking the hot board so much because we know how these things are. A coach gets fired. You you throw a bunch of names out there and see what sticks. That's kind of the way hot boards work. But still, I, I just had to shake my head and think, Mark Stoops leave $9 million at Kentucky where he's got it made in the shade uh, for for that sticky situation uh, at Miss Michigan State. 
I don't think so. I mean, Mark Stoops has made Kentucky look like a like a mecca, and it's and it's a great situation on on both parties, right? It, it's great for Mark Stoops. Um, it's great for Kentucky. He, he's you know he's a caliber of coach they haven't haven't seen come through there often or recently, and it's worked for a long time. He's the second longest tenured coach. Uh, in the SEC behind Nick Saban, and I think he's got maybe one of his best teams he's had on his hands. Doesn't mean they're going to beat Georgia. I think they come back to reality a little bit this week. They could win nine, ten games. Yeah, I think uh, Kentucky's biggest problem, as it often has been, is not having enough quality depth. If it loses a key player, it's going to have a hard time replacing it. You could say everybody does in the NIL era and transfer era, but I think Kentucky does more so. So, that would be a concern for me with Kentucky. However, one thing with Kentucky under Mark Stoops, you kind of know what Kentucky's going to be like in in a way. I I mean, it's, you expect it to be pretty tough. Uh, You expect it to play decent defense. It doesn't always, but they're just kind of a, a solid foundation there. I think the ceiling may not be that much higher than what it is right now. I mean, to me, Kentucky, if it finishes in the top 25, that'd be a really good year, any year. And Mark Stoops can make more than $9 million. He may get another raise if Kentucky keeps is a top 25 regular. Uh, so, no, if he took if he left Kentucky for Michigan State, I mean, you really would almost have to give him a test for his cognitive powers and, and wonder – if he'd fallen, hit hit it, hit his head somewhere. I mean, that would be a just brain dead move. Yeah, he's not going to do it. I mean, he's he stayed this long. Uh, he's he's got that great contract. Uh, heck, Rich Brooks, the former Kentucky coach, was talking in the in the summer about how Kentucky needs to get to work on the statue for Mark Stoops. When they're talking about building you a statue. Uh, when you, when you're averaging about seven wins a, a season, now it's been better than that recently. Uh, some of that is is hamstrung by the early of, uh, parts of his tenure. Nonetheless, though, uh, yeah, the idea of him going to Michigan State uh, to me seems preposterous and illegitimate. As I look at this Kentucky schedule, might have been a little bit lofty when I said uh, nine, ten wins. They got Alabama this season uh, on the schedule. They still, of course, got Georgia this weekend. Missouri's five and zero. Oh. Uh, Tennessee, eh, they may not get to 10, but I think this is still, uh, regardless what the record says, still might be one of Mark Stoops' best teams, and he's won 10 games twice there. John, I want to get over to the SEC West because just one week ago on the pod, we were saying our pecking order to win the West was LSU, Texas A&M, and Alabama. Uh, Thanks for playing, LSU. Uh, I've seen store mannequins provide better defense than what LSU brought on Saturday. And, uh, you know, they squandered a two score lead. Jaden Daniels was fabulous. Their wide receivers were fabulous. Couldn't cover up for just an embarrassing display of defense in Oxford. Ole Miss wins. LSU's got two losses. See you later. Uh, you're out of the playoff picture and you're now got one hand tied behind your back as you're trying to win the West, which makes this game and College Station Saturday uh, huge. <laughs> Alabama favored on the road. That script day has got a lot of power over those sports books. And I was thinking about Jimbo Fisher's tenure, John, 
He's had a big moment against Saban after talking tough before the 2021 season, comes out and beats Saban. Last year, nearly does it again after their offseason feud. But those were sort of kind of sideshows uh, among, you know, also ran or even bad in the case of last year seasons for Texas A&M. They were big moments in forgettable seasons. I look at this game, though, as being more than just the Jimbo versus Nick conversation. Like, this to me is, is Jimbo's biggest game in his tenure because it actually means something. Texas A&M wins on Saturday. They're in the driver's seat in the West. It's still early, but you got to win over Alabama on your resume at this point in the schedule, and you don't have a conference loss. They lost to Miami on the road non-conference. You beat Alabama, A&M's in the driver's seat in the West. I think it's, a, it's the biggest game in, in Jimbo's tenure. Yeah, before last weekend, I still thought LSU was a, the best team. It, it's so talented. Uh, just disappearance of defense against Ole Miss is is mystifying. And, and I wonder, it was almost as though it played the entire game with that 10-man defense. Notre Dame came out in against Ohio State when the game was on the on the on the line and Ohio State was on its goal line. Uh, I, I look at uh, now I look at AM. Uh, I think AM's the best best team in the division. But two things against it. One, it's history. When AM gets in this kind of position, when does AM win this kind of game? Uh, it, it's just it has a history of not living up to expectations and when things are looking really good, they often go south. So, but when I look at the game and I think about how loud it will be in college station, how they will pack 110,000 people in there. I really like the Aggies also, even though they have a backup at playing quarterback, I think Max Johnson, I don't think there's a huge difference between Connor Wegman and Max Johnson at quarterback. Uh, Wegman played well against Auburn. He played well against Arkansas. And another key thing that we've talked about, the the line, offense and defensive line, particularly a defensive line. I think A&M's defensive line is, is maybe just as good as Alabama's. It, it's deep in the defensive line. So, yeah, I, I think right now if I set history aside and forget Alabama's historic championship pass, and Texas A&M's uh, myriad of failures in this kind of situation, I just think A&M's a better team. And, and part of the reason I say it's the biggest moment in Jimbo's tenure, John, is because the year they nearly made the college football playoff in terms of rankings and record, you know, that was 2020, they went 9-1 and one that year, were just on the outside looking in, but they lost, they, they, they got drilled in week two, by Alabama that season. And so, you know, early on, they were kind of removed from the conversation. Whereas here, if they were to win on Saturday, this puts them in the conversation, really, I think, long-term of not only winning the West, but, you know, you get to Atlanta and make something happen there, who knows? Now, I know we're putting the cart ahead of the horse. Um, It it all could go up in smoke based on what happens uh, on Saturday. But like you, I... I kind of like A&M in this matchup, John, and I know we'll get into it in the picks portion later, but it's funny with Alabama, um, and Nick Saban is is the greatest to to ever do this, certainly in in my lifetime, 
uh, at the very least, and, and many would, uh, would say the greatest of all time uh, in, in any lifetime. And yet there are people who sit in the chair that, that you and I do, uh, the talking heads, the, uh, the sports pundits, the scribes, who are obsessed with making Saban not only the greatest of all time, but some sort of some sort of Svengali, um, you know, who's who's this mastermind manipulating the universe behind uh, behind the curtain, and you know, so after Alabama beats Mississippi State uh, handily on Saturday, you start seeing some some chirps uh, from our version of the peanut gallery about how ah uh, we'd written Saban off after that loss to Texas and. Uh, and the uh, the mediocre, well, not even mediocre, the bad display at South Florida. But look at what he's done now. It's like, really? We're, we're ready to just anoint Alabama again after they beat Mississippi State, which might be the uh, 13th best team in this conference ahead of only Vanderbilt? Like, I'm sorry. I'm not ready to, to re-anoint Alabama to hand them the prize uh, because they beat Mississippi State by 23 points. And, and that was a far from, from perfect effort uh, on Saturday in Starkville. Didn't need a perfect effort to beat Mississippi State. But where do you stand on Alabama? Um, you know, uh, to what degree has, has your confidence been restored? I know you're, you're not uh, in uh, Saban's Fingali mode, but uh, wh- where do you rank on, on your confidence in Alabama? Well, no, nobody can question Nick Saban's overall success. Six national titles at Alabama, one other one at LSU. But here and now, just looking at this Alabama team, uh, you see places where where Alabama's made mistakes on recruits. Uh, it's showing up at quarterback. Uh, it doesn't have the normal level of running backs it used, it's accustomed to having. There's It can't hand, hand the ball to a Derrick Henry or – Mark Ingram or, or uh, Najee Harris. Uh, so I, I see a, an Alabama team that's playing pretty well on defense uh, with all kinds of offensive shortcomings. Um, and to me, the biggest difference in this game is uh, playmakers. A&M has them. If, and, and I don't think Alabama does. If you look at those receivers, Anaya Smith and uh, Evan Stewart, Alabama of uh, Texas A&M. If Max Johnson, the quarterback, gets them the ball, they can make explosive plays. Who's going to do that for Alabama? There's one guy, uh, Jalen Milrow, the quarterback. That's that's what Alabama's running game has become because the other guys are pretty pedestrian, I think, at least by Alabama standards. So I see. Uh, you put a spy in in Alabama, and A&M has veteran linebackers. You put a spy on uh, on Jalen Milrow, and you take the chances against your secondary against their wide receivers. Um, so, yeah, Saban Saban may can do some things and affect a game, but he can't revamp his roster. But before the game, and another factor that I can't emphasize enough in this game. The difference in being at home and on the road in the SEC is magnified this season. And we know how loud it can be at Cal Field. And uh, I think that could cause problems for Alabama's offense, its play call, and its quarterback. Uh, You're right about that. It's a big game for Jim. It's one of the biggest games for Jimbo Fisher. 
And it's one of A&M's biggest games. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's so true. Because, again, that 2020 season, uh, which was the best year of Jimbo's tenure, well, it was hamstrung by that week two blowout uh, at the hands of Alabama, which sort of uh, was an anchor on whatever came after that. We're, aside from Saban, John, which is he's no small X factor, um, that much can be acknowledged. But you know, maybe that can be neutralized a little bit by the fact that this is a road game in front of what will be, like you said, 110,000 fans. Um, but aside from Saban, do you see Alabama having an advantage in any area in this matchup? I mean, statistically, uh, the numbers would say Alabama's a little bit better on defense, uh, and, and A&M's defense certainly got picked apart by uh, Miami now has looked good at other portions of the schedule against inferior opponents. But when, when you look at things, you mentioned the playmakers A&M has. Do you see, as far as roster-to-roster, advantages for Alabama? Um, not obvious ones. Uh, secondary could be pretty good. Uh, you brought up Texas A&M's dramatic lapse against Miami. That's it's hard to ignore. But Miami ran a completely different offense than what Alabama does. It was up-tempo spread. Quarterback had a hot hand throwing the ball all over the place. Alabama can't do that. This game is going to be more of a line of scrimmage game, and I think that's where A&M can match Alabama. I, I guess the question I would have is, I'm sold on Texas A&M's defensive line. What about its offensive line? Uh, in preseason, uh, the, all the preseason hype with Alabama, a lot of it was about its offensive line. It hasn't been that good, but it may be getting better. And I don't know how good I, – I don't know if Alab, if A&M's offensive line can match Alabama's defensive front. I'm not sure on that. But overall, when I look – again, I get back – when I look at SEC games, closely contested SEC games, big games, I look for playmakers. And uh, Anaya Smith is one, took a punt back 82 yards for a touchdown last week. Evan Stewart makes circus catches. He can be completely covered. And Max Johnson, albeit a backup quarterback, is really good at giving his receivers a chance to make a play. He's not afraid to throw the ball into a crowd, believing that his guy can beat the other guy. And that that could be a real interesting matchup in how this game plays out. If Alabama's defense can can win those one-on-one battles against uh, Texas A&M's uh, off, uh, wide receivers. Um, I, I'm not sure Alabama can win those matchups. Yeah, and if Alabama fans think they can't be beat by a backup quarterback, uh, we'll just mention the name Zach Calzada, right? Because he did it uh, two years ago he sure for, did. for Texas A&M. Uh, Jalen Milrow, it's worth noting, as a backup quarterback, beat Texas A&M last year, had his problems with turnovers, in that game came down to the wire Alabama um, or, or Texas A&M rather had a shot to win it in Bryant Denny right near the goal line. Couldn't get it done. Alabama prevailed behind Jalen Milrow in a game. Bryce Young was on the shelf and they'll need, I think some, some of the best stuff Jalen Milrow has if they're going to win on the road 
Saturday. Uh, John, before we get into the picks, uh, I want to revisit LSU because Brian Kelly, obviously about as high profile of a hire as you could make. It's rare. Uh, Lincoln Riley would come to mind, but it's, it's rare to see a coach leave a blue blood job like Notre Dame is um, for another one. And, and Brian Kelly did it, um, you know, was a much discussed hire at the time. And Brian Kelly stared down some of the criticism, some of the blowback for leaving Notre Dame last year. And he exceeded expectations in year one, beat Alabama, won the West. Um, and then this season, everything came crashing down. Defense looked terrible in the second half against Florida State and even worse in Oxford. And what a shame for LSU's offense, right? Because Jaden Daniels, as I was watching him, uh, I was there on Saturday, as I was watching him uh, keep keep LSU in that thing and actually give LSU a two-score lead in the fourth quarter, I thought, um, here's a guy that might ensure the Pac-12 doesn't claim all the Heisman finalist spots, right? He was playing that well. Brian Thomas, Malik Neighbors were fantastic. Lane Kiffin, I think this might have actually been a subtle jab at Brian Kelly, but Lane Kiffin compared LSU's offense to the 2020 Alabama offense. And actually, the way LSU's offense played on Saturday, that was a fair comparison. But on defense, you know, I, I made the comment afterwards that tackling wasn't optional for LSU. It looked like tackling was prohibited. I mean, it was just just a comedy of tackling out there. And you can't blame it all on personnel. I know Brian Kelly would say need to do better in recruiting long term to address the secondary, need to hit some more maybe in the transfer portal, but can't all be on personnel because even on that talented defensive front and in the linebacking core, where most of us felt pretty good about LSU coming into the season for whatever concerns we had on defense, uh, those guys weren't disruptive really at all. Ole Miss scored 55 points piled up over 700 yards, more sacked a single time. I think I sacked the quarterback once uh, when you're, when you got LSU on the Jersey, Uh, your thoughts on the situation with Brian Kelly and LSU after all that preseason hype, uh, some of which you and I contributed to. Yeah. I mean, you can't argue with Brian Kelly's track record. He's won wherever he's been. He's taken Notre Dame to the playoffs. And I thought Tennessee uh, LSU made a championship higher in getting him. Uh, But again, right now, what's going on? Uh, The first red flag I had with this team came in preseason. When I was listening to Brian Kelly talk or or reading his quotes in a story about how it would play Harold Perkins differently this year. He played as a freshman, starred as a freshman. Talk about disruptive. One of the best playmakers in the country on defense. But they wanted to turn him into more of a conventional linebacker learn to play a position, maybe anchor the middle of the defense. It's kind of – it sounds like things a coach would do where he would just – he would forget and ignore what just happened. Well, this guy didn't really know know the defense that well. He was just out there playing. Well, Harold Perkins out there playing is really good, and Harold Perkins out there playing against Ole Miss – when LSU couldn't get a sack, could have made a big difference in that game, might have made the difference. 
Uh, when I watched Harold Perkins play against Florida State, and they've got him spying on Jordan Travis, the quarterback. He's just out there. I, I watched him a lot. It looked like, you know, he was just that taking him out of the play. LSU schematically took him out of the play. And I, I didn't notice him against uh, – I didn't watch all the game. I didn't notice him against Ole Miss, but how could you notice anybody on LSU's defenses? It's not just him. It's McKee Wingo. It's uh, Mason Smith. Maybe he's not fully recovered from an injury. But, yeah, we knew the defensive secondary could be an issue. But that front seven, I mean, LSU added a, a first-team all Pac-12 linebacker from Oregon State. Uh, he was and he was healthy for this game. Yeah, I don't they, know. They, they couldn't get off blocks when they did get off blocks and were in position to make a tackle. They didn't make the tackle. I mean, it was just I guess everything that could go wrong about that defense did, and it felt like a repeat of the Florida State game. And frankly, um, in some ways, felt like a repeat of the Arkansas game because. Um, they were they were a little bit fortunate to get past an average Arkansas team uh, that piled up over 400 yards of offense the week before. So, and now they got Missouri around the corner this weekend in Columbia, which might not have looked like much in July, but <laughs> looks like a lot now with Missouri sitting there five and zero and Brady Cook playing like he's one of the best quarterbacks in the conference. So let's go ahead and get into that, John. We'll, we'll start off our picks there. <laughs> Uh, you were three and three last week. You didn't hit on your lock, but you did pretty well in the SEC games. Uh, your overall record still not good: nine, sixteen, and two for the season. Uh, you trail me. I was terrible last week. The only game I hit was my lock, uh, as you predicted. The pride came before the fall, and that is underway <laughs> in, in, in my world. Uh, I'm now fourteen and twelve. Fourteen, twelve, and one. And uh, the VIG is eating it away at my slim proceeds. So here we go. I mentioned it. LSU, Missouri, kind of overshadowed a little bit by the other two games we talked about, Alabama A&M, Georgia, and Kentucky. LSU, six and a half favorite <laughs> at Missouri. Uh, I don't, you know, players can find all, all kinds of things to motivate them, right? I wonder if Missouri will find any motivation in being a, uh, a six and a half point road underdog, despite being five and zero, uh, and and hosting a two loss team, and, and Missouri's got a couple decent wins on its resume this to this point too. So, uh, what do you think about this one, LSU, a six and a half point road favorite? Well, and now that we've pretty much uh, reduced uh, LSU's defense to rubble, uh, I can't ignore that offense though. For all of LSU's defensive limitations, the offense seems to be getting better. And I think you're going to have to score an awful lot of points um, to beat LSU uh, because it looked unstoppable against Ole Miss. Uh, so I would probably give the points. Uh, I mean, I could see LSU winning by seven points there in Missouri. And, and as you know, I'm kind of on the Missouri bandwagon right now. Uh, and I don't, I just, I just don't know if it can keep pace with LSU's offense. I think it'll be a high scoring game. I don't, I don't know that Missouri can keep up. I'm not sure if you can retain your conductor's seat on the Missouri bandwagon. If you're not even going to take the six and a half points that <laughs> that's being handed to you at home and, and Columbia Mo, a, a place that you're now 
uh, ranking right up there with the most hostile environments in college football. I, I know you've, you've really been uh, enthralled by what you've seen uh, well, from I, the Thoreau Fields uh, <laughs> um, atmosphere this year. Well, I, I mean, I, I, you know, when I got used to go to Thoreau Field, I kind of thought of it like a trip to a cemetery. I just, I just didn't think of it as, uh, <laughs> you know, much going on there, just pretty dead. And, uh, so I may have overreacted when I when I heard the crowd against Kansas State. I just, are you kidding me? Where is this game being played? I, and yeah, sure enough, it was at Faroe Field. So yeah, maybe I got too carried away. But if it be if it uh, beats LSU, I'll be right there. I mean, I will be leading Missouri's charge down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, I, I covered a lot of games at Missouri over the years. Covered that program for a few years. Uh, as a beat writer, I, I was not worried about Faroe Field being a cemetery. I was worried about the possibility of food poisoning uh, with the fare they served up in the, in mm, those, the press those, box there. Those yeah. those uh, those hamburgers made you kind of antsy if yeah. you were hungry and you're trying to make a decision. Should I risk eating that in the middle of a game or I'm really hungry? It it was challenging. I Looking I, back, I passed on it. Yeah. Uh huh. I had someone ask me this week if I'm co- going to Columbia to cover LSU, Missouri, and I thought, not with that press box food. I'm I'm, I'm headed to College Station for Alabama, uh, Texas A&M. Uh, did I actually make my coverage choice based on press box food? Hmm. I don't know. Probably made my coverage choices based on sillier things before. So you tell me. Uh, I'm. I'm I'm going to take your spot in the conductor's seat, John, okay. and I will take those six and a half points. I always uh, like getting the home team and some points, uh, although I know kind of how this works in the betting world. When all of a sudden you're down on a team, you've left them for dead, uh, they come back in the next week and, uh, and steal everybody's money. So I'm, I'm worried about this one, but uh, the, the points for the home team is a siren's call. So I'm going to take the six and a half points that they're handing me, and I will take uh, Mizzou. Um, we've talked about it a lot. So quickly, John, uh, our picks on Alabama and A&M, we don't have to belabor the point. Uh, I'm taking A&M because they, uh, also are getting points. And I've already said, give the home team some points and I'm pretty tempted by it. A&M getting two and a half points against Alabama. I think A&M is going to win this game outright. Uh, of course I'm not great at picking games so take that for what it's worth. I'll take the Aggies and you. Yeah, I'm I'm the same. I would I would pick A and M uh, outright, and uh, you brought it up earlier, so I'll reiterate it. But uh, remember the Zach Gal- Zach Calzada game. Uh, I, I just think A and M, even with a backup quarterback, can beat ta- can beat Alabama in this situation. I don't like to take credit for results on the field. John, because that would make me out to be something of a Svengali, and I don't think I fall into that category. But I think we could, I can take a little bit of credit for LSU's win um, on Saturday because uh, I had a couple pieces last week about, come on, Lane, time to win a big game. You're the $9 million man now. You can't just be all about pithy tweets and troll jobs. And Lane Kiffin, on, off the ropes, says, shut up, Topmeyer. Pipe down over there. Uh, he beats LSU all as well again in his world. And uh, so, you know, and I'm going to I'm going to say you're welcome, Lane. A little extra motivation there. I'll take uh, how much credit do you think I deserve? About five percent. Is that too much? 
Uh, probably a little bit. Uh, maybe it motivated Nate, uh, Lane more than the team. Maybe it brought out his best play calls. I, you could. That's very subjective. You give yourself give yourself fifty percent of the credit if you 50%. want. Fifty percent. Okay, I'll take it. Uh-huh. Sounds great. Um, well, all of a sudden, Ole Miss is getting oodles of credit. They uh, are an eleven and a half point favorite at home against Arkansas. This is a tricky one for me because Arkansas feels like that team. I think I've mentioned this before. That's going to lurk around in a lot of games, not going to win a lot of games, but they're going to be there within one or two scores. Um, And then you look up at the end of the year and they're six and six, and it was a really forgettable season in Fayetteville. And yet they had a bunch of two score, one score losses that this feels like the potential for another one. I'm going to take Arkansas and the points here. 11 and a half feels like a big spread to me, given the way this series has gone in, uh, in recent years. I feel like this could be, could be another type of high scoring shootout. Like we saw last week, uh, in Oxford. So, I'm inclined to think Mississippi wins, but uh, not by 12 plus points. I'll take the Hogs. I agree with you that on that. Um, two things here: uh, one, Ole Miss. Uh, I don't know how well it will handle success. That's a huge win. It's coming off. Of. I just I, I wonder about that. Also, I look at Arkansas and I see a team in full desperation mode. It's lost three games at home. It's lost three consecutive games. One of those at home to BYU. Uh, won't play another home game in Fayetteville until uh, I think the middle of October. Sometimes teams struggling uh, can actually, and, and under criticism on social media, sometimes teams in that situation actually fare better on the road. They get a, uh, so maybe I'm trying to talk myself into this, but I do think Arkansas can move the ball. And as well as Ole Miss played offensively, uh, it really didn't slow down. Uh, didn't slow down LSU. So uh, I'll take the points too and go with Arkansas. Yeah, you mentioned some of that motivation can come from social media. Sam Pittman, uh, he's deleted his social media, so he'll have to find uh, his motivation other places. Maybe I should write a column about Arkansas, John. It worked for Ole Miss. Maybe that's what Sam Pittman needs a top yeah. minor column to light a light a fire. And boy, it, how quickly things change in the sec i mean mm-hmm. i mean sam Pittman was a beloved uh just for changing the fortunes in arkansas how many did, i mean they had, had a vanderbilt like losing streak in sec play when he came in there really changed the atmosphere the attitude uh overachieved at times but now it's kind of he's kind of losing that edge and arkansas looks like one of those teams that'll play just enough, just well enough to lose a close game. Loss to BYU was a hurtful loss for them. Yeah, the it really, it really was. That one sticks around with you for a while, especially with the middle portion of the schedule. Uh, we've already talked about Georgia and Kentucky, John, but we need our picks. Georgia, fourteen and a half point favorite. They're at home. Uh, this is a chance where I think the the sports book says everybody's high on. On Kentucky, throw your money around on Kentucky, and the sports books gets get rich when when Georgia gets it all right and wins in a blowout. Well, they can get rich off me, I guess, uh, because I will take Kentucky and the fourteen and a half. Don't feel like I'm going to have much breathing room uh, in in this one. Um, feels like it could be about a twenty eight fourteen type of game, but that would be just enough for me to come out on the winning side. What do you, what do you think? 
I'm thinking the same thing on this, Blake. I, I look at Georgia. With Georgia, as the season started and as it goes along, I keep thinking, okay, it, it's Georgia's coming. Uh, uh, you know, uh, as Deion Sanders would say, we're coming. And, and you're thinking the championship team is coming in a breakthrough game. Uh, Georgia's on the brink of that. But then I just keep watching it play, and I don't see that. Uh, injuries are a factor, but we've t- we've already talked about it a lot. But I just t- see too many weaknesses in this team, and I think it's good enough to win. I think it'll win at home. I think it'll make the big plays when needed. And I don't trust, but like, I don't trust Kentucky in this situation either. But I still, if I'm getting 14 and a half points, I guess I'll take my. My chances on Kentucky. Kentucky's receivers need to catch the ball. They're very fast. They're athletic. But they kept dropping the ball last week. Uh, We're going to step outside to uh, give an early welcome to Texas and Oklahoma and pick this game too, John, before we get into our lock of the week. Texas and Oklahoma, this rivalry will become an SEC rivalry uh, next year. Here it is on the calendar this week, you and I would have Texas ranked number one in the nation, we say. Uh, do we believe enough in Texas to say they would cover a six-point spread against the fellow undefeated Sooners? All of a sudden, Brent Venables uh, looks a lot better. You'd put him in your crosshairs earlier, John. You neglected to learn his name at one point. I know. I think you probably know it's Brent, not Brett now. Uh, what do you think of, of, of Brent, Brett Venables? Because uh, I think Texas is going to cover the six-point spread and uh, reward us, uh, vindicate us for putting them uh, number one in our mythical rankings. Well, I like Brent Venables a lot better than I do Brett Venables. <laughs> uh, yeah, he has a great reputation as defense coordinator, and that was baffling last season how bad the defense was. But it was a transitional year. The defense is much better. Dylan Gabriel is playing great at quarterback. And Jeff Levy's a really good play caller. Uh, you know, this is a game. Coaches often say what happened last year doesn't matter. There's no revenge factor. Every, every week's a new week. We look at what's going on now, all that kind of stuff. And I don't believe it. it particularly in this series that means so much to so many people, Texas. What was the score last year in this game? It was a brutal win for Texas, wasn't it? I, I, as I recall, um, they're not in the SEC yet, John. So, uh, oh, you don't pay away. Right. Okay. I, I, Texas, uh, 40, 49, zero, 49, zero. Yeah. There you go. Those kind of games matter in this series. And, and I think that's why I, I like Oklahoma with the points. You think and, they went out right? You think Texas wins close? I kind of think. I kind of think Texas wins close, but uh, you got two quarterbacks playing well. I think I like Dylan Gabriel a little better, though. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I'll definitely take the points. All right, our locks of the week. And as bad as I was last week, I hit my locks. The gambling public probably wants to perk up here because I feel good about this one. Maryland is getting 19.5 points at Ohio State. Maryland's a dangerous team. They can really score. They're five and zero. The schedule gets a lot tougher from here. They got Little Tua as their quarterback. The younger uh, Tugavailoa. He's playing 
really well. Like I said, Maryland scoring uh, a lot of points. I, I just don't know. Ohio State, we, we've come to expect them over the years to be that team that just, just thrashes opponents by uh, 28, 35 type of points and covers spread uh, covers the spread with ease. Uh, a, I don't, I don't know that Maryland's that type of opponent that you can just beat the doors off of, and I don't know that this Ohio State team is that way. I think they're going to win a lot of games. Um, I think they're not going to win so many games by 35 points. So I will, uh, I will take the uh, Road Terps and their 19 and a half points in my lock of the week at Ohio State. I had four candidates for my lock of the week, mm-hmm. and Maryland was one of them. So I, I won't be repetitious here. Um, I think I'm going to take, uh, and I probably should uh, with a probably should have a disclaimer here. I picked Georgia State last week as lock of the week, and it got blown out by Troy. So I don't know whom it's playing this week, but it's no longer on my radar, and it's off limits for the rest of the year. I hold grudges very, very vehemently. So I will go with Colorado State giving up a point and a half to Utah State. Okay. What's the logic on that one? <laughs> you, you like what you saw logic, in Colorado State? Logic. I just, <laughs> logic, I just told you, you what my logic got me last week. Logic. <laughs> logic left the building a long time ago. Uh, a hunch a hunch huh i watched colorado state play colorado head-to-head went right out to the last play uh utah state has had some really bad games so even though utah state's playing at home where's home for utah state do you know utah i'm looking for a town is that in logan utah that sounds right yeah Mm -hmm. i've been through logan utah so, yeah. A couple of stoplights and maybe a four-way. <laughs> no, it's I bet they got than, a couple of great Dollar Generals there. Casey's Pizza. Nah, Casey's it, more of a Midwestern chain. It, it's big enough for me to get lost in. <laughs> that, <laughs> drunk. You get lost no, in your I know, I know. I just got lost <laughs> in my house yesterday. Uh, so, no, I like uh, I like uh, Colorado State. I'm, I'm a big color- fan of the state, Colorado. I like Utah, too, but Colorado gets the edge there. Uh, went out there this summer, spent a couple, two and a half weeks basically in Colorado. And I like Fort Collins, a lot of cowboys there, tough mindset. I don't think it's afraid to go into Logan, Utah. It won't be intimidated. You can ride a, you can ride a wild bull, a bucking bronco. I don't know if I should be saying bucking bronco, but uh, I. <laughs> But anyway, I like Colorado State. I just like hearing you say Colorado, John. The, the O kind of gets more. Yeah, it into does. An a, Colorado. Well, that's, yeah. I, I, what do the natives say? I, I think I think cowboys say Colorado. Fair enough. Your cowboy John Adams gets lost in his own home, uh, but plenty of confidence in Colorado State. Uh, big weekend of games. We'll be back to discuss next week. Thanks for listening to this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. 
Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.